You're listening to Sound Ground, a celebration of sound, of voice, of story, and change, where we seek to illuminate instances of relationships with nature. I'm your host, Agnieszka Zuchora, or affectionately known as Aggie. We express our infinite gratitude for Mother Nature, for Earth, and everything that it carries us through. We also want to acknowledge the land where this is being recorded. I myself am on the land of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations. Your other host, Anne-Marie, is located on the land of the Wasanich people, and Abigail Lalonde is on the land of the Ganyi-Gahaga. We give gratitude for the wisdom and leadership of Indigenous communities and a continued commitment to living in harmony with nature. On today's episode, Anne-Marie and Abigail share with us Nature R&D's incredible project, The Rush Initiative. We explore conversation around community mapping, the history of maps, community building, and what is possible in building resilient urban systems. We hope you enjoy. Right. Okay. So, Anne-Marie, you just got out of this conversation, so you must have lots to tell us about. But why don't we just start with what is Rush? Well, great. So glad to be here with Abby and Aggie on the Sound Ground podcast. And what is Rush? The reason we're talking about Rush today is that it's one of Nature R&D's main focuses. So Rush is the Resilient Urban Systems and Habitat Initiative. At the moment, it's focused on the Wasatnich and Lekwungen territories, southern Vancouver Island. The regional government here is the Capital Regional District. And so we're focusing on this area as a prototype. This is where I live. And it I started to create Rush because I didn't, I wasn't able to interpret the reports to know what I needed to think about in terms of climate change here and what I could do about it. And so I needed to like see it kind of beginner's mind. And so that's how Rush came about. So it sounds like you were witnessing a problem that you were experiencing in your community and you were, you chose to actively pursue a solution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The the (laughs) problem I was witnessing was that I was like ponying up to be a good citizen and getting on all of these committees. You know how the Mm -hmm. big joke is strike a committee and take forever. (laughs) And so I was on the climate change select committee. I was on the advisory working group uh, for the official community plan. And even though we were saying all kinds of nice things, climate change every now and then, we were not looking at any climate change data. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's a big mandate in BC for affordable housing, which we do need. Mm -hmm. But the dynamic I was seeing is everybody was saying, oh, no, not here, not here. You can't have it here. And so the affordable housing was getting pushed to the traffic circle by where all the highways intersect. And no considerations around, wait a second, is this affordable housing going to be conducive to well-being? Is it going to be conducive to ecological integrity? Is it going to, yeah, be good for the people that live there, essentially? Mm -hmm. And for the fragmented ecosystem that is, you know, having a hard time doing its thing? So I needed to see the data and it wasn't readily available in a way that I could understand it. And Mm -hmm. so thanks to smart people, because people like me need smart friends and Abby and others, 
Doug Johnson is one of the people on Rush and and the community mapping department at UVic and Peninsula Streams and Shorelines was like, you know what, we'll help you figure that out. Mm-hmm. And so they helped me find a grant and and they've been great. I mean, obviously all the stewardship groups are doing great things in this space. This is not a new thing for them. They know it all, but they're all scientists. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's about getting it for the average person to understand. Mm-hmm. And so is this like a mapping platform? Yeah, it's a it's a website essentially with, uh, I don't know how many buttons we have now, but let's say there's 12 or 14. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're, you know, they say that climate change is the existential question of our time. Mm-hmm. My background in mediation tells me that self-interest is not a bad thing. You actually do need to take care of yourself. You, you know, we can take care of each other, but ultimately we have a responsibility to look out for ourselves so we can show up. And so the questions on the, the different maps are associated to different existential questions. How do I beat the heat? How do I protect the coast? How do I orient myself? You know, culture compass wise. How do I get a sense of peace? You know, mental health and all. How do I protect the wood wide web? How do I shop in a circular economy? How do I travel with a light footprint? How do I power this place? These are the kind of questions that there's a map for each with simple visualizations to help you start to think, this is how I do that. Mm -hmm. It can be really tricky to try to orient yourself in that space of change and visualize it there's a lot of conversation there's a lot of legislation surrounding it that you can get tangled in so i find that being able to see the maps of that are offered on rush helps me at least to understand the edges and no the edges not even boundaries just edges of the the issues and it's interesting to orient yourself within that because it is hard to look at the problems and decide how to apply yourself to them. Like you worked on the circular economy when Abby talked mm-hmm. about those edges. So when I was working on the circular economy map, I had a little bit of a struggle trying to decide what was what con- what was contributing to a circular economy. I got to document a lot of spaces where positives and negatives were occurring so places where you could contribute to the ecosystem through the eco- like through the economy i suppose so you could like offer clothing or buy clothing secondhand that was something that i focused a lot on but i also focused on a lot of like auto repair spaces and places where you could donate scrap metal places that you could put landfill waste places that you could purchase landfill waste or like purchase i guess scrap metal or auto scrap to be reused or recycled so there's a lot of different components there mm-hmm. but i never really had considered is that true i wonder no i think i have considered like and that's why i sort of made this map was how to invest yourself within this economy in a way that feels reciprocal mm-hmm. and feels engaging rather than exploitative so how can you support your community with your dollar and what ways can you do that and what ways can you not do that like how can you divert things from land wastes in an attempt to orient yourself more cyclically so making that circular economy map in a lot of ways was less about 
edges and more about circles and spirals and and finding things, repurposing them and starting again. I love that question. How can I invest myself in this economy? Such a tough question. We're all tripped up by that one. So yeah, they're like all the different kinds of recycling, but even the coffee shops and the food systems you looked at. It's true. Um, I did. I did map. I got the chance to um, to put some really cool. It's been a while since I've looked at it. Honestly, I think I was working on it like way in the summer, probably quite yeah. early. But I did think a lot about coffee because I work in cafes and I've thought about green buying a lot and what it means to take a plant from halfway across the world and bring it into spaces and and roast it and and distribute it and. It's pretty cool. People are pretty cool and people within the coffee community are pretty cool at creating relationships with growers and with roasters and with people who sell coffee. Pretty cool community. That that's a story for a different time. <laughs> but it reminds me of another story that that is also showcased on Rush. So Rush is about leveraging all the good work that's going on, but putting it all in one place. So it's a one-stop shop that you can orient yourself in a foundational way to the issues. And there is an organization called EA Creative, and they work to get to help people orient to their own cultural foods. And they also help connect with farmers and even individuals to say, what cultural foods can you grow so that if a someone who's new to this area from another culture is looking for a certain kind of pepper or something, where can they find this? And if they're in this situation where they have to access the food bank, how can that food bank have access to different cultural foods so that one continues to have a sense of their of belonging through the as much as possible, let me say. And so instead of this organization, EA Creative, instead of the food always coming halfway across the world, the mango, whatever it is, they're now identifying the growers in the city. And that stuff is on the rush map of where can you find your special pepper? Where can you find your special mango? And and even is there a grower yeah. who you can get a supply, get a line on mangoes from? We have kiwis up the road here. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. I think that's such a valuable part of rush because you know we focused on we focus on resiliency and urban systems but community is such a big part of that and a sense of belonging and a sense of connection to culture and especially living in a country where there's so much diversity in culture to be able to have access to something that feels like or tastes like or smells like home creates it it gifts us a special kind of strength that creates the resiliency to be able to find ways to connect to community with where we are and to build those relationships and strike up conversations, right? Like so much of of building resiliency and community is through storytelling and through finding those those similarities and those connections. So although it's like a predominantly environmental thing, it like really touches on the different layers of of the sense of self and how important that is for us to be able to build a relationship with the land. Cause also if like the land that we're on can grow the things that feel like home, then that'll deepen our connection. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have to be careful about that, of course, because one of the things that has happened to Victoria is that 
people come from other parts and they want it to look like England here or whatever, and then we get an ivy infestation. But yeah, in in the sense of farming and greenhouses and yeah, how can we create that sense of belonging? And you're also those different layers of belonging. One of the big partnerships Rush has is in working with student community mapping student teams from the UVic map shop. And so precisely to what you're speaking about, they went around and interviewed different people in cultural communities and says, what is it about the belonging? What is it about the food? And there's a most beautiful story map Mm -hmm. that unfolds all of these different connections that you get about belonging with food, whether it's the act of Mm-hmm. The story around the table, the sound of your grandmother's voice, the smell, all of these things. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And I fully agree that, you know, we we have to be mindful of not altering an environment from its natural state, but that, you know, we, we have these places and we can in controlled ways create a sense of home and community building in ways that isn't harmful to the environment, but can be regenerative to it. And there was a really cool organization in Australia that did just that. They funded community gardens for spaces that had predominantly immigrant families so that they could learn how to grow their own food in that landscape and grow food that was more deeply connected to them. Mm. Yeah. Well, and okay, so that brings up another sort of grassroots initiative with Rush, which is the plotting of pollinator gardens, which there can be growing, you know, the vegetables and spices and things that you want. And so we have three community groups, Gorge Tillicum Community Association, Quadra Cedar Hill and Swan Lake are all working together to start to plot their pollinator gardens through the tool of open green maps to see if we can get connectivity across the region so that we know there's enough habitat for, you know, everything from slugs to bats to hummingbirds to bees to, you know, even wasps actually pollinate. Yeah. But that pollinator garden connectivity is so important to food security and adds so much to that sense of belonging and mm-hmm. ability to create beauty in the world by working with nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I really love what you just said, Henry, but also what you finished saying, Aggie. What I'm getting from that is this like desire to not to, to contribute to the creation of a landscape. In a lot of ways, Rush does that digitally because we get to to understand the projection of the land and then and then pull out things that are relevant to us in that. But then it is stemmed and round like grounded and rooted in this like very real aspect of how can we as individuals interact with and within nature. So figuring out how to like grow that pepper, grow that kiwi, how to grow that that plant that is gonna provide a haven for your pollinators. All of those things exist within a consideration of like, how can I feel at home here? But then how can the land feel, how can the land feel like mine, but how can I also belong to the land? Mm -hmm. Like, how can I contribute to the growth of this space Mm. in a way that is considered of of its legacy and Mm -hmm. like both ancestrally, but also going forward? And then how can I feel supported by that as well? So it touches back to this idea of reciprocity that I think is really interesting and really special about Rush. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
we have, uh, we took the data on sensitive ecosystems. So you can sort of see which ecosystem you're ballpark living in so that you can plant those plants and extend the reach of it. And yeah, there's all kinds of like plotting of big trees, even down to the sense of belonging, plotting of uh, inclusive washrooms. Belonging is really like we are creative beings. We need to be working with nature. We need to be working with each other. And it's it's through that that we can then address the bigger issues of, but it starts with planting, right? Like we need mm-hmm. to be cover, we need rain gardens, we need pollinator gardens, we need more urban ecosystem functioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't mean to say that, I mean, I know well that you know all about invasive species. That's <laughs> another thing we can plot, <laughs> you know, in order to start to take care of it. It's an interesting thing of how do we feel like we're at home and also get a good sense of place for where we are and and be curious about that. Mm -hmm. It's a really good good end. Mm -hmm. I feel like so much of belonging is also building that relationship with where you are and creating that sense of home within within the self. And Abby, I loved what you were saying of about like being of the land, not just like connecting with the land and and finding ways that it can benefit us, but how do we benefit it? And so, you know, having these conversations around pollinator gardens and connecting with the local species and native plants and seeing how we can minimize our footprint in that way by creating these kind of like green pathways for nature to use throughout the urban landscapes that we've created is something that I, I feel like is maybe new in the city planning and urban planning space. You know, it's always been, maybe we need a tree here for shade. Maybe we need like, you know, something to prevent flooding, but the conversation around having pollinators, like having a pathway for pollinators feels really new. And I think that's just so great that that Rush is, is considering these things. And it sounds like it goes, like Rush goes beyond just the, the physical and like the ecological idea you were talking about inclusive bathrooms and like Mm. i'm curious like what are the parameters of rush or is it just kind of all expanding well the parameter i guess is health and so it runs from i guess it's about protection and connection so nature protects itself but often by being connected Mm. so if you think about a leaf you know, it's protecting itself by getting rays from the sun, but it's, it's also protecting what's underneath and connecting in that way to the rest of the web of life. And then when it protects itself to let go of the leaf, that leaf that falls on the ground then creates a protection layer for the winter, for the soil. And then, you know, of course, the big thing is that when that all breaks down, not only has the root system been protected, but then there's all the nutrition that gives the right medicines for the, for new leaves to sprout and that sort of thing. So, so the range is everything from everything that helps us as a community be more protected and connected so that we can be a node of health, both personally as neighborhoods, as an urban ecosystem, and then be a node of connection for other communities. Mm. You know? We're very, I don't know if it's luck or if it's just a matter of time, but this is a piece of paradise. Mm. And so if we can, 
you know, really support nature in her good work, then, then we can create a node of stability here that will serve the communities uh, nearby mm-hmm. for greater connectivity. I'm not sure if I answered your question. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Greenhouse gas emissions and carbon drawdown. What are all the areas where, you know, the, uh, the four, how much greenhouse gases are the forests absorbing or the eelgrass beds absorbing? It does that, but it also publishes our emissions as well. Mm-hmm. It sounds very like a very holistic view that, you know, immediately hearing about Rush, it seems like it would come off as something that's focused on climate change and the kind of technical aspect of the environment. But just in this conversation and how you're explaining it, it seems like it's, you know, the intricacies of the relationships that we have with ourselves, with each other, with our neighbors, with the neighboring communities, with the the physical land, with the flora, with the fauna. It's like this kind of it's a, an acknowledgement that we are not separate from anything and nothing is separate from us. And so looking at all these different layers of, of connections and threads, kind of like thinking of a mycelium network and how it's feeding and, and you know, com- helping the trees communicate and the trees are providing all these different nutrients and resources for all the plants below and all the the creatures and everything like that it kind of sounds to me that's what i'm picking up on anyways that, that that's what rush is trying to be you know it was yeah, yeah. for us in fact abby you should talk about what you did on the wood wide web map because it's exactly that trying to make space for the trees to talk to each other can i work on the wood wide web map i don't think i did <laughs> yeah you did with the my three trees icons oh if i guess you- that is the wood wide. okay i imagine <laughs> tell us about it abby <laughs> I mean, I mostly worked on the icons. The plotting is all left to like these amazing students at UVic. But I was, I had this like long conversation with Anne Marie about like the three tree rule and different big trees and plotting big trees and thinking about the relationship people have with trees and how they are connected to that landscape and how being connected to trees connects you to the soil, connects you to another tree, mm-hmm. connects you to another tree, connects you to a leaf, connects you to the leaf that falls. And so I created these icons about the three tree rule, which is the idea of like finding three trees that are in your nearest vicinity. So the ones you can like, if you just look out a window and you see three trees, you're like that one, that one, and that one, those are my trees. It helps you develop a relationship with them, keeps you accountable, keeps you grounded. And then there were, we had some icons for heart trees or like mother trees or trees that were really significant to people that like really felt and resonated to, which is something that I completely resonate to because off the top of my head, I can think of like some gods that live in my parents' backyard that I have just worshipped my entire life. Yeah. And I'm like trees specifically. Well, and and so the tree equity standard, it came out of a Nature Canada report. They realized that the big cities across Canada, there's a relationship between income level and canopy cover. Mm-hmm. And so they came up with this standard that says, I need to see three trees from my window. I need to have 30% canopy cover, and I need to have a park of at least a hectare 300 meters from my house. And so what we're trying to do in the icon that, which is so cute, that Abby created, 
people are starting to plot their three trees that they can see from their window. And they're plotting broadleaf trees and conifer trees, and they're measuring the circumference of them. And then ideally, we're going to start to identify places where compaction rates of the soil don't need to be compacted. So stick to the sidewalks and like plant those little areas around the trees because actually we need the soil to be aerated in order for greenhouse gases to be absorbed and for those mycelial networks to work between the trees. So we are trying to create a wood wide web within the city by getting people to start to build better relationships with their, like Abby's talking about with their trees. But it's been wild to see like every day now I'm getting emails For real. popping up on the... At first when I was getting those emails, I anticipated, I thought that it was the students that were adding icons in. And I was like, this is sort of silly because I don't need to have a notification every single time they plot something. But then I realized that it's individuals within communities yeah. who are feel reson- like they resonate with this map and yeah. want to share their trees. And so you can go on the map and see pictures of people's trees, yeah. which is just the sweetest thing. It's just the sweetest thing to feel connected to other people's special trees. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so beautiful. And there's less chance of them being cut down if people love them. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? right. It's a bigger fight, which is, and it's an important one because if we're going to have affordable housing, we need canopy cover or mm-hmm. that's going to be a heat dome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you probably know a lot of, like, how how does this touch your work in environmental assessment, Aggie? Oh, not at all. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my work's a bit, a bit different. I can't speak too much to it, but it's, it's, it's less in the urban spaces. It's more in like, yeah, mm. out out in like smaller communities and, and open areas, but it does it it brings me to think of of how you're talking about affordable housing and you know witnessing and and living in spaces where which was which were lower income and generally not having access to parks and not having green spaces because they're just kind of like throwing up a bunch of buildings and trying to fit as many people for the the lowest price as possible. And obviously that creates a a division between people and their relationship to to land, but also has a pretty significant impact on mental health. And that's kind of where my mind is going with like, you know, being able to see three trees out your window and how lucky we are with where we live, at least on, you know, on this island that just about anywhere you live or look, you're going to be able to find three trees. But, you know, you go into spaces in Vancouver, like the downtown east side, and mm. you don't have that. That's not there. And it's it's just like concrete. And these, it, it's almost, to me, it feels a little bit dehumanizing to mm. put people in these places where they can't see nature and can't see a piece of of what you know we we are all interconnected and being a human is part of that is being able to touch the soil or to hug a tree or to like witness nature expanding right well you're actually putting your finger on how the whole thing started we had a student in uvic geography jillian voss who did a project where she looked at the temperature ranges over the last four years, and she identified all the potential heat domes in the city. 
And then another student team through the community-based participatory research, and this is all on the Russian initiative. It's like a call out of a yellow square in North Park, because in North Park, there is more concrete mm-hmm. and there is a higher degree of people without homes. And so they went and worked with the businesses and community organizations in North Park and had them identify where are the cool buildings, where are the drinking fountains, where are the parks, kind of where are the areas of concern, the big parking lots, the big stadiums, like mm-hmm. in the last heat dome or heat event you know, what caused concern. And as a result, the community-based participatory research team created this map that now serves as an advocacy tool. So you can go online now on the Rush website and you can, if you saw someone having a hard time with heat, you would be able to direct them to these places. Mm -hmm. And you would be able to take the Rush information because now we've identified cool buildings and water fountains, you know, in a broader area to Mm -hmm. be able to say like, we need this parking lot to disappear. It's causing too much heat in this neighborhood. So it's exactly, it gets to that kind of environmental racism. Mm -hmm. It's to stop. It's not good for anyone. Mm -hmm. And, and through mapping, which can be used to divide or it can be used to bring communities together to act towards health for everyone. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right. I really appreciate that element of equity that you're bringing into it and that acknowledgement as well that that mapping has been this like deeply colonial, deeply unsettling, but also resettling tool. I'm not sure how much we've talked about this in general, but like studying geography, being a geography student, one of the first things that we learned was to appreciate or understand the subjectivity of maps, like how they've been used as tools, but not they're not truths. Mm. And and for a long time, maps have been used to assert dominion over space, to dominate space, um, and to give people the right to dominate space as well, along with other tools. But I have always been interested in how maps can be used as a tool to illuminate space, create spaces that are accessible, help understand the land, and invite connection. I think Rush does a really fantastic job at offering that kind of space, but then also offering people the tools to map as well. Mm -hmm. Because for a long time, mapping has been something that has been only, that's an ability or a tool that has only been able to be, create. like maps were created by certain people. And those people became authorities. If you had the ability to map something, you had the ability to tell people how space was. So to be able to invite communities to contribute to the process of mapping their worlds mm-hmm. and have the idea, like the idea that people's truths and people's worlds are valid and deserve to be documented, and how the connectivity of all of those worlds helps us to interact with our space in a way that is kinder and more equitable and quite radical. Is something that's so special to me. Yeah, and and uh, to be clear, like the map, the community mapping program really does work very ethically in that space you describe. I've learned a lot and been so impressed by these teams of what they make happen, 
and, and how they enter that space. Yeah. Um, I do want to say before this conversation is over that it's a prototype, that it's in development. There's a feedback button. It's only on the South Island right now, but we are looking, we've made it with 100% open access software because we want to scale it, to have it be scalable to other communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they put in their own questions, but like a tool that helps people make sense of the issues, the vulnerabilities, the opportunities, that's one of the goals. Mm-hmm. I so, just, <laughs> well, I just wanted to say, like, thank Abby for bringing up that history of of how oppressive and colonial maps were and still continue to be in so many ways and and the possibility that exists with mapping especially with citizen-led mapping and the community development potential and emory i think that's so great that rush is open source and that you know being a prototype right now and you're so open and willing to to have this move through different communities and be accessed in so many different ways is heartwarming and and truly what are the words that I'm looking for I feel like it really reflects the space that we're trying to head into which is more of that village mentality and really taking care of each other and looking for ways to support each other and so I'm curious yeah how do how do people access rush and how do they get more involved well you go to what's the rush.ca. What's the rush.ca? Great. And the rush is that there is a rush. Of course, we have to take it in stride and find our flow. That's part of climate action is, you know, finding your flow so you don't get too scattered and make too many little trips everywhere. I think that's the easy. It's the, it's the one stop shop. Go take a look. Give us some feedback. If you'd like to collaborate, if you know of an opportunity. If you want to explore the tools on open green map that you can do around the globe. And, and one day we will have created something that has data sets in all communities, but we're just not there yet. So we're trying to, it's a, it's a bit of a heal yourself, heal the world kind of idea of what can we do here to mm-hmm. figure out how those conversations can happen in a way that affirms people's dignity and puts the tools in their hands, change the critical questions that get asked and mm-hmm. and create a shared language. Mm-hmm. Sounds wonderful. And we'll put all these links in the, the description to make them easily accessible. But if someone's interested in collaborating or has, you know, a network that they want to connect in this sort of way, is there an email they can reach out to or is there a form on the Rush website? There is a feedback form on the Rush website, but you could always go to natureRnd.com as well. Mm-hmm. That, that's a hard one to spell or say, but it's, well, it's not hard to spell, but hard to figure out how to spell. <laughs> N-A-T-U-R-N-D.com. So that'll, if you go to the NatureRnd website, there's a contact form there too. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. And it's just, you know, really exciting to hear about the initiatives that are coming forward and the passion that you both have for this and just your your perspectives and your willingness to to be diving into this. It's so special. It's going to be so big. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) All right. Until next time. Right on. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you.
Thanks so much for joining us. Visit whatstherush.ca to learn more about the Rush Initiative and bring it to your community. And click subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Until next time. You're listening to Soundground. 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 Presented by Nature R&D.